Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Biology with me, Mossin. Today's episode is about memory. We are going to discuss about the different types of memory and look at an interesting case study of amnesia and how that has led scientists to discover what and where memory is. There will be lots of unfamiliar words as memory is a really big topic, but don't worry, we will be just skimming the surface of memory so it shouldn't be as scary. Let's start with what memory is and what are the types of memory. In essence, memory is the retention of learned information. Once we learn new skills or knowledge, our memory allows us to keep using these skills or recall any knowledge. Now there's lots of different categories of learning. We learn facts, we learn skills and develop habits, we learn emotional responses and behaviours to certain stimuli. All of these are kept in our memory, but all of these categories of learning cannot be stored in the same memory structure in the brain. If that were the case, the brain won't know what type of memory is needed at a specific time. Therefore, there must be different structures in the brain or different systems in the brain which are dedicated to a specific category of learning. There are three main systems in memory which we will delve into in more detail. The working memory, declarative memory and non-declarative memory. Non-declarative memory consists of procedural memory, which are skills and habits we learn, which consist of motor responses such as playing an instrument. Also part of the non-declarative memory is any behaviour and emotional responses learned. The type of non-declarative memory I'll be focusing on is procedural memory. Procedural memory is a motor reaction to a specific input. The formation of procedural memory occurs through two types of learning, non-associative learning and associative learning. Non-associative learning describes a change in behavioural response that occurs over time to a single stimulus. There are two types of changes, habituation and sensitisation. An example of habituation is Imagine living in a house with a single telephone, and whenever it rings, you run up to it to answer the phone, but every time the phone is for someone else. Over time, you will stop responding to the phone ringing until eventually eventually you will no longer remember or even notice the phone ringing as it's not important to you. This is habituation non-associative learning. An example of sensitization is, imagine you're walking down the sidewalk with street lights at night. Suddenly, there's a blackout and the light turns off. You become more aware and you can start hearing footsteps which you will not hear in a busy street. The strong stimulus of the blackout causes sensitization to the footsteps. This is a form of learning that intensifies your response to a stimuli, even ones you did not notice before. The other type of learning in the non-declarative category is associative learning. In associative learning, behaviour is changed and remembered due to the formations of new association before events, therefore associative learning. This is different to non-associative learning as non-associative is triggered by a single stimulus being changed, for example the street lights turning off. There are two types of associative learning, classical conditioning and instrumental conditioning. Classical conditioning involves making the subject learn that one stimulus predicts another stimulus. A famous example is Pavlov's dog experiment. Pavlov successfully conditioned the dog to draw when a bell rings as the dog now associates the bell ringing with food. Instrumental learning, discovered by Edward Thorndike, is when the subject learns that a particular behaviour is associated with a particular consequence. An experiment you could look into as good further reading is Edward Thorndike's puzzle box, which shows us that the connections between stimulus and response sometimes needs to be discovered through trial and error and motivation. Moving on to declarative memory. Declarative memory consists of the remembrance of facts and events. Declarative memory is what people usually mean by the everyday meaning of memory. Within declarative memory, there's long-term memory store, short-term memory store, and the working memory. Long-term memories are the memories that we recall months and years after coming across the fact or event that has taken place. 
However, these memories only represent a fraction of what we experienced that day. Most of that information goes through the working and short-term memory stores. All sensory information goes through the working memory, which only lasts a few seconds, and short-term memories are memories that we gave attention to from the working memory. But this memory is vulnerable and can be easily lost through any trauma or the memory literally being shoved out by new memories, as the capacity for the short-term memory is very limited. Let me give you an example. Imagine walking through a busy street. All the sounds and images of people walking are going through your working memory, but you do not notice it. Then you hear a loud crash and that grabs your attention. This is now part of the short-term memory store because you are giving this information the attention. This crash, however, was from a meteor that landed on the street. Hence, you keep telling this story to your friends and families and work colleagues. This event has been revisited in your head many times and has been reinforced so much it's now part of your long-term memory store. So the process of storing memory is like a sieve. The less important memories are forgotten and you only have the memories that you gave attention to. Scientists wanted to locate where the declarative memories are stored in the brain. The location of memories in the brain is called an engram or memory trace. This is done by looking at hypothetical changes in the brain after a certain memory is stored. To study this, scientists used a series of trials of multiple rats, with some rats which have damage on parts of the brain which scientists believe a certain memory is held. This came from a hypothesis. They did not know exactly what structure to look at, but they had a rough idea of where memory should be. Scientists then compared the behaviours of the normal rats and rats with damage on their brain. Multiple studies suggest that the declarative memory passed through structures in an area of the brain called the medial temporal lobe. If you guys want to look at a complex model of memory storage, it's called HEB and the cell assembly. That's HEB with two Bs and the cell assembly. Evidence that suggests declarative memory passes the medial temporal lobe are electrical stimulations and through case studies. I don't want to bore you by rambling on about the structures of the medial temporal lobe, plus it will be difficult without pictures. So there is an in-depth description of the anatomy with diagrams on my Instagram page at Let's Talk Biology. Be sure to check it out to deepen your understanding. Before the technology of electrical stimulations and neural recordings were available, scientists relied heavily in case studies to learn about the brain. Even today, case studies are very useful in telling us which specific regions of the brain does a certain function. For studying memory and behaviour, case studies of patients suffering from amnesia is really important. I'll be discussing mainly about the temporal lobe amnesia, the area of the brain under the temporal bones on either side of your forehead. We mentioned that temporal lobe is important for learning and memory, especially declarative memory. So by completely removing the features of the temporal lobe must have profound effects, which was the case of HM. Amnesia is when a certain disease or injury to the brain causes serious loss of memory and the ability to learn, therefore finding it hard to produce new memories. There are two different types of amnesia, retrograde and anterograde amnesia. In retrograde amnesia, Events of a period of time prior to the trauma are forgotten, but distant past memories and the period after the trauma are still intact. In anterograde amnesia, events prior to the trauma can be remembered, but no memories can be formed after the trauma has occurred. There could be temporary amnesia lasting for a couple of hours to a couple of days due to the restricted blood flow to areas in the brain responsible for learning and memory. This is called transient global amnesia. This could be due to a seizure or drugs or extreme physical stress in the body. The case of HM is a very renowned case, only released to the public after his death in 2008. 
HM is probably the most famous initials in the history of neuroscience. He suffered from minor epileptic seizures from around the age of 10. Scientists are not sure why, but it may be due to the bike accident he had when he was 9 years old and he was unconscious for 5 minutes. As HM aged, the severity of his seizures increased and was also losing consciousness. In 1953, HM, at the age of 27, had 8 centimetres in length of his medial temporal lobe off, including a third of his hippocampus, in an attempt to stop his seizures. The surgery was successful for reducing his seizures. The removal of the temporal lobe did not affect his personality, perception or intelligence, but it left him with anterograde amnesia. Two neuroscientists, Dr Milner and Dr Corkin, have been observing and studying HM for the next 50 years, but they had to always introduce themselves every time they met with HM. I mean, imagine you have the same people meeting you for that long period of time and you don't even know it, which from an outside perspective is really scary. Imagine waking up every day not knowing what you were doing two minutes ago, not knowing that you were sleeping just a couple of minutes ago. It's hard to comprehend. So the scientists conducted mini tests to see the extent of memory damage. They found that HM would forget events very quickly. With repetition, he could remember a number, but if he was distracted, then he would forget that he was even asked to remember a number. HM did also suffer from retrograde amnesia. He did have memories of his childhood, but he forgot events that took place a couple of years before his surgery. HM's working memory was normal as he could remember a set of numbers by repetition. HM was able to build procedural memories, for example learning to draw by looking at his hand in a mirror, which is difficult for people with normal memories. HM was able to perform the tasks, but he could not remember the event when he learned how to do the task, so he'd forget the declarative aspect of that memory. Now, scientists have learned a huge deal about the medial temporal lobe through HM's case study. They concluded that the medial temporal lobe is important for memory consolidation, but not for the retrieval of memory. HM clearly retained memories from his childhood. He also recognised famous faces such as John F. Kennedy. This suggests that the medial temporal lobe does not store certain types of memory as his working memory was completely normal. So therefore the working memory is not processed by the medial temporal lobe. Overall the main part of memory stored or processed in the medial temporal lobe is declarative memories. This is further evidence that different types of memories are stored differently in different areas of the brain which makes memory an even more mysterious and challenging topic in neuroscience. We'll end this topic here for now. I have just skimmed the surface of memory and there are lots more case studies and models that explain how memories are stored and different patterns witnessed, and even more questions being answered such as how retrograde amnesia works and why the distant past memories are recalled and not the relatively recent past memories, even if they are the same type of memory. I could make a more detailed episode on memory in the future. I hope you guys have learnt something about memory in this episode and the main thing I want to get out from every episode is to start questioning things and start researching yourself about topics you enjoy. Not just because it's an assignment or homework, questioning things you don't understand is integral to learning new information. I hope from this you do start questioning your memory and why you think you remember certain events or facts and forget others. And don't be afraid to take notes and ask me questions about anything you don't understand or any topics you'd like to request for a future episode. Thank you for reaching the end of this episode. This episode will have lots more information about the anatomy of the medial temporal lobe and graphs to go along with the subtopics mentioned in today's topics. So I highly recommend you visit my Instagram page at Let's Talk Biology to help you process the information. Until then, I'll be back with another episode very soon. Bye.